All right, so what's up, Revolution? That was pretty solid. Um, I think it's safe to assume that no one in here really likes to be around people that lie all the time. Like, no one likes to be around the person that can't tell the truth or that's always claiming that they, that they can do something in reality they can't or that they are something in reality that they're not. Um, and yet everyone still knows that one guy that lies and brags about everything. And you can see right through it every single time. Like, think of, like, the uncle from Napoleon Dynamite. Was it Uncle Rico? Like, yeah, I bet I can throw this football over the mountains over there. Like, that guy that's just always bragging and lying about everything. Um, like, for me, I remember being in high school. And there was this dude, he gave me a hard time all the time. He knew I was a drummer. Um, and when I say, like, I practiced music a lot in high school, I practiced, like, 24 hours a week or more. I was always playing the drums. And this dude would come up to me, like, once a week and be like, I bet you I'm a better drummer than you. And I was, like, I was arrogant enough to be like, uh, no, you're not, because no one's a better drummer than me. Have you heard me play? Um, which is not true in the least. Uh, but it was, like, every week. He was like, hey, man, I can play this, and I can play that, and I can do this and that, and I know that I'm better than you. And I was sick of him lying because no one had ever heard him play. He wasn't in a band. He wasn't in the marching band. So one day I got fed up with it and I said, well, we're going to the band room today. And he followed me in there and I handed him a pair of sticks and said, there's a drum set. Show me up, man. And he handed me the sticks back and was like, it's stupid. I'm not doing that. And I was like, well, okay, then from now on you shut up. Uh, you're a liar, right? Called him on that. Um, because a musician, if you present them with their instrument and they have a couple minutes of free time, they're going to play. If you put a guitar within 20 feet of Ryan Rolfe, he's picking the sucker up and playing some kind of blues crap that no one understands. Um, but that's what's going to happen. Because um, there are certain actions that people will do. If you're a musician, you're going to want to play. Um, or uh, another one, like, and this one is a little bit meaner, but this one made me laugh really hard. I heard this story recently. There's this dude that I know, and he's at a party, and he's talking about how much money he makes, and how, like, yeah, I make six figures a year, and I have a better job than everyone here, and he's just lying. The dude does not make six figures a year. And, and this other guy at the party knew that, and out of the background goes, oh, hey, dude, you make six figures a year? Why do you still live with your parents and have to borrow gas money from them? Like, just, like, put a knife in this dude's stomach in front of a whole crowd of people, which... Like, not cool to do, but when I heard that, I couldn't not laugh. Because I love watching people get busted in a lie. And I'm going to say it's because God's justice, and I think it's justice for someone to get caught in a lie. So I'm really God-honoring whenever I laugh at people getting caught up. That's just me. Like, I loved watching cheaters on WB whenever I was little. Anyone else? Cheaters? Oh, yeah. It's like, I I would never cheat on you, baby. Five minutes later, he's in a hotel lobby with his, like, heart boxers on, getting the crap beat out of him with, like, a golf club by some ghetto chick. It's beautiful. Um, But... But aside from being sinful and immoral, you know, lying is just annoying in my opinion. I think that's why I can't stand lying. Um, You know, like if you claim to be something, you claim to have something, or you claim to do something, you better be prepared to back it up or risk being outed, right? Risk being exposed as a liar. And and tonight we're in James 2, 14 through 17. and, And I think that that's what James, that's one of the points James is making in this big passage. Um, or it's a short one tonight, it's a big concept that we're going to follow up next week. Um, that, be, that if you claim to be a Christian, you better be prepared to back it up with the things that you do, or you're going to be outed one day, and that day is going to be judgment day, and you don't want to be outed as a lying Christian on that day, because uh, I hope you don't want to go to hell. Uh, but yeah, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, there's blue Bibles, feel free, James chapter 2, or if you're lazy like me, it's going to be up here on the projector. Um, and if you're new here, take those Bibles home with you. If you don't have a Bible that makes much sense, that's our gift to you. We want you to have that. Um, but let's take a look at this. Uh, verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, 
but don't show it by your actions. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Right, so right off the bat, I want you guys to know James is being skeptical. Another translation says, what good is it if you claim to have faith in Jesus? Right, so this isn't genuine faith. This is a mere claim. This is a mere proclamation of faith. This is someone just running their mouth saying, I am a Christian. I believe in God. I believe Jesus. Right? We, we hear things like that a lot uh, around here, but this is not genuine faith. It is backed up with no action. And it's a rhetorical question, too. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Can a mere proclamation with your mouth save anybody? The answer is no. All right, verse 15. So, and, then, and then he gives a case study. All right, So this faith that doesn't save, let's see what it looks like when put in a situation where this person would need to back up their claim. He says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. So there's someone with a need. We can, we can take that even further. Someone who doesn't have any friends. Someone who doesn't have enough money to pay their bills. Someone who doesn't know the gospel. There is a need somewhere. So you see a brother or sister who has a need and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. You don't give that person anything. You don't give that person any friendship. You don't give that person any uh, financial means. You don't give that person anything but some religious words. What good does that do? All right, so if your faith, if this proclamation of faith produces nothing but well wishes and religious sayings, then what's it really worth? Right? If you see someone in need and all you can give them is some stupid like Facebook copy and paste slogan, like let go and let God, like whatever that means, like stuff like that, but like you're not willing to give them any actual tangible help, what's that faith really worth? Because God commands people all over scripture to meet the needs of the less fortunate as we see them. So to do nothing but talk, right? To do nothing but give these religious sayings and, you know, I'll pray for you, which is actually Christian code for I don't want to get involved. Please get away from me. Um, And most of the time, not all the time, most of the time that is what it's code for. I think we can all agree if we're going to be honest with ourselves. Um, To do nothing but talk is to ignore God's commands to actually help people. And that proves that we care nothing about God, which proves that we have no faith. So you can claim whatever you want, but it's not true. That doesn't sound like saving faith to me. 17. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Claiming faith, proclaiming to be a Christian, merely making a mental assent to, you know, I believe with my mouth, isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. And, you know, I'll study and really, like, so like a little bit of word study on this. Uh, the Greek word for dead actually means dead. Yeah. yeah, not really a brain buster there. Like dead means dead. It's completely useless. It's of no worth. It's not going to do anything for you. So just run in your mouth saying that you're a Christian is not going to do anything come judgment day because that false faith is inherently defective because it produced no action. Now I'll level with you. Sometimes the Bible is really hard to understand. Right? And you've got to do a, a bunch of digging. You've got to do some studying to really get, like, what's the, what's the root of this? What does this really mean? But other times, it's really easy to understand, but it's incredibly challenging. So we try to lie to ourselves and say it must mean something else. And this is one of those times. This is the second one. Right? James is a really straight shooter most of the time. James is being really straight with us here, and he means what he says. If your faith does not produce action, it is a false faith, and you still stand condemned of your sin because genuine faith in Jesus Christ produces good deeds in our lives. It makes us want to follow him and do his commands. And I think James' line of logic goes something like this. So, so hear me out. 
action follows faith because God is the God of action. All right, go with me here. God's nature is good. So all he does is good, and he's an active God. Right? He, he's always doing. He is always doing something, and everything that he does is good. So let's take a look at some of God's actions throughout Scripture. Right off the bat, he creates everything, and he makes it good. He makes it perfect. It was sinless. And then, you know, we wrecked that, right, probably in a day or two. We, we, we messed that up pretty bad. Um, and then I'll say this, this. This is always cool to me. Whenever Adam and Eve sinned and, and God saw that, or they saw that they were naked and they were needing clothing, God did another good action. He, he made them clothes. He gave them clothing. Uh, you know, we can see past that, we see God's people, uh, Israel, gets in a tight spot. They get in slavery in Egypt. God rescues Israel, right? He throws justice down on the people who were oppressing them. That's a good thing, to do justice, um, to, to, you know, to throw down on the, the oppressors and rescue the oppressed. And then whenever Israel comes out of Egypt, they go to the desert. And while they're there, they don't have adequate food or water. And what does God do? He gives them manna and quail and water from the rock. I don't know if any of you, I hope you guys are familiar with this. If not, come talk to me later. Um, but God is always doing good. Whenever Israel screws up, as soon as they turn back to him, he redeems them. They go into exile, he restores them back. And ultimately, all of God's good action culminates in Jesus Christ coming to redeem fallen man. To come to take our sin on himself and die in our place for our sin. So God is constantly doing, he is constantly taking action. God does his nature. His nature is good. So consider this. If our nature from birth is sinful though, so all we want to do is evil. All we want to do is wicked to rebel against God and do our own thing. But those of us who claim, right, you say that you follow Jesus, you say you have faith, you're claiming that you've received a new nature. This new nature is one like Jesus's. This new nature is one that is, that is seeking to follow God that is wanting to be righteous like God and good and holy and pure like God. So you've received this new nature. That nature is also one of action because Jesus was always doing action. So if your faith produces nothing, it's not genuine faith. I think that that's James' line of logic. But in, in stark contrast to this nature of God and this new nature that we're supposed to have received through faith in Jesus, there has developed a, a false religion that masks itself as Christianity. And it's running rampant. And this false religion says some, some stuff. It says, uh, it's all faith, right? I, I, I am saved by faith, and I don't have to do anything because of that, ever. I never have to do anything because it's all faith. And that's partially true. You know, Ephesians tells us, you know, by grace you are saved through faith so that no one can boast. That's true. Your, your belief that Christ died in your place for your sin is what saves you. But there must be action after that. But what these people will argue is, no, you're telling me that I have to do work. You're telling me that I actually have to do something. That's legalism. That's just not true. We're going to get more into that next week. But like, like, like we just talked about James' logic, there must be action to accompany our faith. There must be good deeds. This, this false religion will also say things like this. Like they'll, they'll pay lip service to the idea of good works. Like Facebook Christians. Right, like the, the 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 man or woman that studies all the time, right? Knows a lot of like reads a lot of theology books, posts stuff on Facebook all the time. Maybe they blog, whatever, and they're always posting stuff. You know, like oh, you know, James was totally right. It's all over Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Numbers and James and the Gospel of Matthew. That we need to get up and go and do good works in the name of Jesus to bring God the Father glory. Post. 
put the phone down, turn Netflix back on, or put the phone down, go back to studying even more and never leave the house to go do anything. It's all lip service. They get it up here, but it doesn't culminate in action. Well, this one, and, my, and this, is, this is one of my favorites, um, because, and Revolution is getting better at this, and it's by the grace of God, and I'm genuinely proud of you guys who are starting to get involved with the ministry stuff we're doing. But for a long time, this really, really was running completely unchecked and rampant. Uh, this false religion says, I'll attend a church where a few people do good works in the name of Jesus, and because of that, I'm going to ride their coattails and say, we do good works in the name of Jesus. When in reality, it's about 12 people in that body of 70 that are doing good things. That's what this false religion says, that that they can ride the coattails of a few and take credit for that, when in reality, Jesus says, you have to produce good works in and of yourself. You have to do things yourself, not just ride the coattails of your church or whatever. So what does Jesus have to say about about these good works and about these, these people who claim that they don't have to do anything, these people that just pay lip service, these people that try to ride the coattails of the good deeds of their church. What, is, what does Jesus have to say about this? Well, Matthew 7, uh, Jesus says this. He says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. Now, another way to look at that sentence, um, sheep, right? People that are coming claiming to be a, a part of, of Jesus' flock, that are claiming to be Jesus' followers, but in reality, they're wolves, they're liars, says you can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So Jesus is straight up saying, if you don't produce good fruit, then you're not one of my people. If you're not doing good deeds, if if there's no action to prove that you are one of my followers, you're a liar. And And a tree that doesn't produce fruit is dead, and it's good to be chopped up and turned into firewood. Period. And that's exactly what Jesus says is going to happen to those people on judgment. It's the hard reality of it. In Matthew 3, 8, Jesus tells us, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Prove it, right? Sound familiar, James? Prove it? We got the little thing? Yeah, I mean, Jesus is saying it all over the place. So we can, we can see by Jesus' own words, not just James, that a profession of faith, claiming to have faith in Jesus, literally means nothing to him at all. You can say what you want about loving Jesus, or I believe in God, or, you know, I believe in Jesus, I believe Jesus died for me. Jesus doesn't care about what you say with your mouth. Jesus says that without good deeds, we don't have true religion. Without good deeds, you're practicing some kind of false idolatry that is not worshiping the one true God of the Bible. With no fruit, you deceive yourself into a a false sense of security. I'm convinced there are going to be a lot of Christians, uh, or a lot of people claiming to be Christians on Judgment Day that thought that they were all right, that thought that they were doing it because they went to church because, you know, they read their Bible, whatever, they may have prayed, but they had no good in their lives to show. They had, they had no fruit. They had no action that would prove that they had faith in Jesus. And they're going to be condemned to hell. I'm, 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 I'm convinced of that. So I, I've used this good fruit phrase a lot, and I know it's kind of ambiguous. Not everyone knows what that means, and I'm not going to leave you hanging. Um, what does good fruit look like? Okay, what kind of action are we supposed to produce in our lives? 
this fruit looks like Jesus, right? If you want to say, well, what kind of, as someone who's following God, what, what should we produce in our life? Well, let's look at the only man who ever followed God the way that he's supposed to be followed, and that's Jesus. So let's take a look at Jesus' life. Uh, Jesus' life was characterized by, I'm, I'm going to say three things, and it was more than this, but these are three big, broad, general things to consider and kind of chew on this week. Um, obedience. Right, Jesus perfectly obeyed. This is like a fruit of obedience. He, he, he obeyed God perfectly, and how did he do that? Well, he, he knew what Scripture said about God and about what Scripture said about how a, a, a follower of God is supposed to live. Right? He knew what I like to call holiness standards. Right? That, that a Christian, you know, the things that a, that a, that a follower of Jesus is supposed to do and a, a things that a follower of Jesus aren't supposed to do. Right? That, that we're supposed to be you know, sexually pure, that we're supposed to be... Um, studying scripture, that we're supposed to be in, co- in communication with God, that we're supposed to not be greedy, that we're supposed to take care of the poor, that we're supposed to be peacemakers, that we're not supposed to stir up chaos and fighting within the community of believers, that we're supposed to be agents of like reconciliation, and that we're supposed to be people that, that love God and love other people. And he obeyed that perfectly. So I think one of the marks you can know to, to produce good fruit is obedience to scripture. Right, so for us, that looks like humbly opening the Bible, saying, whatever this shows me about what's wrong with me, I'm, I'm, I'm dedicated to, to trying to change. And praying for the Holy Spirit to, to change you as well, being obedient. That Jesus did it, we should too. The, the second thing, and, and these last two things hinge on the first, obedience. Scripture tells us that we are to take care of the least of these in our society. And we call that social justice, right? We're trying to right the wrongs in our society. That Jesus was all about social justice, right? Feeding the poor. I mean, he fed the multitudes. He was telling his disciples, you know, you go feed them. You take care of the poor. Final judgment is consistent upon, you know, did you take care of the least of these? Did you take care of the people who were in need around you? You know, Jesus hung out with the lowest of the low. He told people that, hey, you know, society says you're worthless, but I, I say that you deserve some respect because that you were made in the image and likeness of God. I love you. Everyone else will put you off to the side and not care about you and not want to be your friend, but I will. So for us, this shows itself in, in what we do on the East End. At Revolution, that's, that's where we do social justice. You know, we do Father's Table, we do the cookout, we do, and I, I'm, I sound like a broken record, I say this every single week, but I, you're not all there yet, so I figured if I've not seen each and every one of you there, that we should keep on this. Uh, you know, we do trash pickup, we do all that stuff, we go around, we just try to talk to people, right, Let's, like, let, let people know, like, hey, I, I want to actually just be your friend, like, I'm not here just to provide some kind of service for you, like, I want to get to know you, where are you from, do you have any kids? Treat people like human beings, because that's what Jesus did. Social justice is incredibly important because that's, that's something that Jesus Christ did himself. That's a fruit. And the third concept to, to kind of chew on is, aside from social justice, Jesus just nonstop preached a message of repentance. Jesus had a constant proclamation that if people would place their faith in him, that they'd be saved. Constant proclamation that he was coming to take the sins of all who would believe in him on himself and that he was going to pay the penalty for sin for them. So if we're going to imitate that, then we, and I think that this might be the biggest marker of someone who has genuine faith, to unapologetically and unashamedly go and tell people the good news that Jesus has paid for their sin if they'll put their faith in him. It's awkward, it's weird. 
It's kind of strange until you get used to doing it on a regular basis. But I think that that might be the biggest like way that we can show that we've actually been changed by the gospel because we shouldn't be able to contain it. It should flow into everything that we talk about in some way because Jesus was always talking about it. So there, there's three concepts of how to show fruit. Right? Think on those things. Take them, take them with you. Put them into action. And know this too, this isn't multiple choice. You don't get to pick one. Like, that would be awesome because I, like, I would pick the studying part. Like, that's just me. I'm a nerd. Um, I would pick studying over any of it. But this isn't multiple choice. Jesus showed all of them. And if we're going to call ourselves disciples of Jesus, right, a rabbi would teach his disciples how to eat, how to, I mean, how to sleep, how to talk to people, how to study, how to do everything. So if Jesus showed all of these, and he was a teacher, he was a rabbi, and we're his disciples, then, boom, we should be trying to show all the things that Jesus did. And, you know, whenever James was actually writing this letter, I found this out. I thought this was super interesting. There's this group of uh, philosophers called Stoics, right? So we get the idea, or I get like the word like stony, like if someone has like a stoic face, it's really stony, um, like unaffected, unchanged. And these Stoics, um, they remind me a lot of the modern American mindset. Um, these Stoics, their, their goal was to attain this mindset that was called apatheia, um, which is it's, it's the root word for apathy. I don't care about anything. Right? Apathy means like you could care less. You're completely like disassociated. Nothing bothers you. You just don't really care. Um, like serenity is not caring for these people. Being detached from everything going on around you is the goal. And that sounds a lot like like American mindsets to me. Like the Stoics and our society tell us, do you want to be happy? Ignore everything. Ignore people that need help. Take no action. Ignore what's going on around you. If you want to be happy, don't drive through the East End. You want to be happy? Ignore that dude with the sign on 52 that says that he's hungry. Do you want to be happy? Completely detach yourself from everything. And that's what people that have false faith in Jesus do. They detach. They, they, they aren't worried about it if it doesn't directly affect them. They don't go out of their way to try to show their faith and prove their faith with their action. But that's in, in complete contradiction to what Jesus taught. Jesus says, you know, okay, do you want to be happy? Do the will of God. And the will of God is to suffer and endure hardships with these people while trying to alleviate them. God got very involved with us. He didn't just ignore and be apathetic about our situation as sinners. So this, this religion, this, this true Christianity, right? Not this false thing with a mask that calls itself Christianity, but true Christianity is not just an intellectual exercise. It's not just nodding your head saying, yes, I believe in the Trinity. Yes, I believe in believer's baptism. Yes, I believe you know, in, in predestination or, or whatever. It's not just this mental assent that, yes, I believe in my head. It logically makes sense that Jesus had to suffer and die on my behalf for my sin. It's not about that. Christianity is the religion of action. Because God is a God of action. Jesus saw our need. Jesus saw that we were the helpless, we were the dirty, we were the ugly, we were the poor, because we are all sinners. 
And sin is rebellion against God. God has told us, this is how I want you to live. This is what I want you to do. I want you to worship me. I want you to obey me and love me with everything you have because I'm worth it, because I'm selfless, I'm loving, I'm holy, I'm pure. And we've spat in the face of God, gave him the finger and said, I want to live like you don't exist. Get away from me. I know what I'm doing. That puts us in a helpless, hopeless situation because God is the embodiment of justice and God's justice says that now we deserve hell for that crime against God. That we've committed the ultimate evil act in sinning against Him and now we deserve the most ultimate, awful punishment. So we are the helpless. But what did Jesus do? Did Jesus say, good luck with that? Right? Like, come judgment day, whenever you die, I hope that things work out for you. Oh wait, they can't because you can't save yourself because you've already sinned. Is that what Jesus did? No. Jesus took action in mercy and love, wanting to save some of us. Jesus came to earth. He physically did something. Philippians says that he poured himself out, that he left his glory and his throne in heaven to come down and do what we could not do, that we were not helping ourselves. We were not taking any action to better ourselves, but Jesus came to do this for us. He came because he saw that we were in need of a savior and he was going to act to give us one. And Jesus lives a sinless life, completely obedient, always obedient to scripture, always showing that fruit, always doing social justice, always loving the least of these, always telling people to repent and turn to God, where you and I fall short, where you and I contradict what the Bible teaches with our lives on a daily basis, where you and I ignore the poor and we ignore the prostitute and we ignore the homeless, where you and I from cowardice don't share the gospel with people sometimes. Jesus takes all of that sin on himself and then he goes to the cross He says, God, you say justice must be done, that that someone must pay for for what these people have done. Someone must suffer hell for their sin. Well, I'm here to take action and take their penalty for sin. And Jesus goes to the cross. And on the cross, he suffers the literal wrath of God. He suffers hell in our place. And he dies. He pays the penalty that we deserved. He paid the debt that we owed God for our sin. But then God raised Jesus from the dead to prove that Jesus' sacrifice and perfect life and death were enough to pay for what we have done. That Jesus had effectively saved us. That Jesus had taken action and effectively did what we couldn't do and made a way for us to be saved. He effectively saved us. Jesus actively did something to save us. That's incredible because I wouldn't have. And there's a response to this, too. Um, If any of you here don't have faith in Jesus, um, there's three ways to look at this. You you can either place your faith in what I just said, that Jesus took your sin and died for your sin in your place, and you place your faith in his life, death, and resurrection, and begin to follow Jesus, and now you will owe God nothing for what you've done. There's that. Or you can reject this entirely and say, I don't believe that. That doesn't make sense. I I don't think that that's true. That's a bunch of crap. And you can go on your way. Or there's a third thing that a lot of people do. You can say, no, I believe that. Yeah, I believe in God. I believe Jesus did that for me. And then continue to live a life that shows no gratitude for what Jesus has done, that shows no good fruit, that shows no action, that you've just mentally agreed with this, and then die and go to hell anyway. Just as much as if you would have said, that's crap and I don't believe any of it. 
Because if, this, if, you, if your belief does not culminate in action, it is a lie. You are lying to yourself and God calls you a liar. So if you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus or, or put your faith in Jesus, you can talk to me after the sermon or you can talk to Brady or Steve over, over here by the couches uh, during worship. We would love to pray with you. We would love to explain this good news more to you. Please come talk to us. But Christians, those of us who do place our faith in, in Jesus already, never forget that Jesus actively did something. That Jesus effectively and actively saved us in spite of us. Right? He took action. I'm sure he didn't want to go to the cross. You can read his prayer in Gethsemane. He did not want to die just like we don't want to go and, and do ministry on the East End because we get tired or whatever. But he went and did something that that he effectively did something. He didn't just say, hey, I'm going to reach my hand out, and if these people will come to me, I'll help them. No, what did Jesus do? He saw that we were sinners, that we were dead in our sins, and that we could not choose God, that we could not save ourselves, and he picked us up out of the pit of sin that we were in and called us sons and daughters of God and saved us. With that knowledge, run to these people that need help. God did not wait on you to come to him. He pursued you. So take action to pursue these people or you're a liar. That's what James is saying here. We must do the same as Jesus did and pursue people and take action to prove our faith unless our faith is just merely a false claim. You know, so this is a call to arms, right? This is one of the ways we worship God. It says present your body as a, as a living sacrifice to God. This is how we do that. This is an act of worship to go and do ministry, to go and genuinely pray for people, to to serve God in obedience, to tell people the gospel. This is an act of worship for us. So it's a call to arms too. Don't just sit idly by while people are hurting and in need that don't know the gospel, that don't have adequate food, that don't have adequate clothing, that have no friends, that feel worthless. Don't just sit idly by and do nothing. Go and do something as worship because Jesus deserves your worship. He's worthy of everything. He's worthy of all of our time. He's worthy of all of our effort. He's worthy of us sucking it up when we're tired and going and doing it. Sucking up our awkwardness and going and helping people. He's worth it. He's worth everything. He saved us whenever we we didn't deserve it. We still don't deserve it. So out of gratitude, act. Because Jesus acted, he acted first. Everything we do, we do because Jesus did it first and we seek to emulate our king. So go and do as our king did. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the fact that, that we suck and we don't always take action, um, but that you love us anyway. God, but thank you for the truth that if our life is completely characterized by inactiveness, that, that we're just lying to ourselves. God, I pray that this message is just a gut check to, to me and everyone in here, that we must live lives that are consistent with Scripture, that are consistent with what Jesus did and how Jesus lived, or we are liars. God, thank you for the truth of the gospel, though, that, that in, in spite of us, um, that we weren't helping ourselves, that we were taking no action for our good, that you loved us and you're a good God, that you saved us that you offer us salvation through faith in your son. God, I, I thank you so much for that. God, I pray that your action 
that your ability and desire to act to effectively save us. I pray that that just penetrate us and drive us in gratitude to go and do as you've done. Let the gospel message just just reverberate through our hearts and, and force us to act. I thank you for the cross above everything, God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.